We're so glad that you joined us. Uh, venue online, we're going to get back together as soon as we can, as soon as we find um, the restrictions or something that we can physically do in church. Um, and so anyways, we'll, we'll keep you up, updated as, as soon as we can about that. But for right now, what we're doing is we're going through a, ser- a sermon series called Fables. So the parables of Jesus, the parables that Jesus tells you that he can't tell you initially because he wouldn't he would hurt your feelings. So he tells you a story about something else or about somebody else. And then at the end of the story, you find out that it was ultimately about you. Now he has to take his fable and trade it out for your fable. And your fable is, is the story that you tell yourself um, that is getting you the current results that you have maybe in an area of your life that you don't like, but you like the story. So you're just going to keep uh, telling yourself the story. So what Jesus does is he comes and takes his fable, which is like a true story with the moral, and replaces it with your fable. The other definition of fable is a false story that we tell ourselves. And so he takes the true story, replaces it with the false story, and then his dream becomes uh, true in your life. So here's what I would say. There's, there's a connected issue in your life and in my life that, that there's a formula to get you successful in this area of your life in the interconnectedness give me a second because now i have to tell you something you're not really going to like but i'm going to tell you this other thing and then distract you with a shiny thing and then we're going to come back to this what if there was a math formula that you just didn't know yet that would work and give you the connection that you wanted in all the relationships in your life what if there's a math formula that i don't mean you should be connected to everybody but i'm saying the relationships that god wants you to have at work and at home the relationships at church the relationships uh, everywhere that you go the relationship particularly with with god even how uh, what if there was a, a formula for life or for connectedness that could bring uh, things back together again that could reconcile things but what if it's a math formula that you in your great wisdom or in the fable that you tell yourself. What if it was a formula that you just didn't like or agree with? Would you do it if it got you the right answer? So how results oriented are you as a person? That's really what I wanna ask. Like, do, do, you, do you enjoy telling yourself the story that you tell yourself or going down the same road that you've always gone down? I mean, anybody who's been married for more than a month, you know, you know that you still, every argument looks the same as every other argument. You've just been doing it the same way forever. And you're just like, this time it'll be different. And she'll, you know, beg my forgiveness and, and realize that she was wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, that hasn't happened yet in my marriage. And we've, we've been doing this for 20 years, you know. Um, what if God gave you a math formula that you disagreed with? But, but what if he wasn't asking you to agree with it? What if he was just asking you to do it? And if you did it, you'd get the right answer. Is it something that you would still hold on to your story for? I, I, I wonder. Sometimes I think we're so proud that we would just keep using our formula, even though it's not getting us the right answer, speaking from experience. Um, there's this thing in your life that you're ultimately made for. I think the first pillar of human um, purpose is that you and I are meant to be connected. So we created Venue Church with that one thing in mind. Like, hey, we're here to connect you with God, and we're here to connect you with each other. Because if you don't have that, you have nothing, you know. Um, you're made for, you know, we believe you're made for four things, but that's like the first on top of the list. You're made to connect with God. You're made to connect with people. But what if the real reason that you're not connected is because you disagree with the formula that would, when, when disconnected, would put you back together? Because disconnections uh, come. What if God invented a way to reconcile people that you just didn't like, but if you did it, you could be reconciled to people and have what it, the connection that God made you for. Um, see, what happens in marriages, what happens in our marriage anyways, maybe, maybe y'all got better marriages out there, studio audience, online. Yeah, y'all are perfect. That's great. 
Um, you're in the wrong church if you got perfect marriage. I'm just saying. Um, no perfect people apply. Or if you think you're perfect, then you're probably lying a little bit. And then, hey, you fit right in with the rest of us. Okay, so here's what happens in your relationships. Here's what happened between you and your boss, you know, when you had a job before all of this went down. Here's what happens is that something happens and puts builds a wall between you. Okay, so so if it's if it's sin, it definitely builds a wall. So sin separates. Keep that in your mind. Sin separates. So when there's sin between my wife and I or my child and I or you and I, when there's sin between God and I, sin separates. Sin separates. Sin builds a wall. Sin builds a wall. So the reason that we're not feeling connected is because there's often something between us. I think we could all kind of agree, like, there's this thing that's between us. Now, we live in a society that sort of, most of us were raised with this idea that, um, how would I say this? Like, back when I was a kid, you actually had to apologize for stuff. Like, an apology apology. This is how kids apologize today, I find. It's like, I'm sorry that you took it that way. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if I offended you. Yeah, well, when you threw the ball at me, it offended me, kind of. You know, like, I'm sorry that it hurt. I'm sorry if you took it like that. You know, it's called a fake apology. Like, I'm sorry that you felt like that. Um, I've been fake apologized to. Uh, my dad was like, not nah, you just couldn't get away with a fake apology. He'd be like, did you do the thing or not? Why don't you quit apologizing for what, you know, like, I'm sorry if you took it that way because you're super immature. And when I threw that ball at you and it hurt you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, this is ultimately your fault because you took it the wrong way because that's not what I intended. Now, my dad was more like, you kind of do what you intend to do. <laughs> Why don't you apologize for that? So, like, I'm sorry that I said those cruel things because I was being cruel, not because I was being nice and you just, you're an idiot and took it the wrong way. Come on, everybody. And so that's a real apology. So, see, when there's sin, he knew that when there's sin between you and somebody, when there's sin particularly or just a misunderstanding or something, we call a lot of things misunderstandings that are just sin. I was proud. I, I had my ego was too big. I just, you know, I thought that I said the right thing and I didn't say the right thing. Or I was just... Guys, I was just hungry. <laughs> I just needed a, a power bar, and then I'd have been fine. I wouldn't have been irritable all day, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah, all right. right. Um, it builds a wall. It separates. How can a relationship come back to, together? If there's sin in, in your relationships at work, even with employees or, you know, uh, supervisors, like, how do we put these things back together? How do we put these things back together? I'm going to give you a formula that God gave me one time that I completely disagreed with, that you're going to find out that that how this sort of thing works. Now, this is going to be an odd story that God will probably never ask you to do something like this, but this is actually what he asked me to do this. And I knew that I knew it was God asked me to do this because I disagreed with it so thoroughly. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, don't. Anyways, this is what happened. This is what happened. Um, there was a, a lady in my life that... that um, we had an altercation about... I'm not talking about my wife. <laughs> that would be funny. There's this lady. Yeah, Aaron, I preached that. That was about you. I just didn't say your name. No, it wasn't my wife. There's this lady that there, there was an altercation over something. And then, and then God did this, this thing. So there was a wall between us. And then God told me, God told me to do this thing um, because your life is all interconnected. Did you know that? Like, how your relationship works with that person also affects your relationship with this person. You just don't know that. Yeah. So how, I, how do I know this works? When I give a percentage, when I give my 10% to the house of God, God protects my children. 
You're like, well, that makes no sense. That's because you're not God and you can't do that. But see, God can do that and it's all connected. And so let me show you how interconnected it is. God told me, he said, um, I want you to call this lady. Now, if I could tell you the altercation, there'd be nobody in this room or nobody watching who would be like, this was your fault, Corey. Like nobody would agree with that because I, I would, and I'm good at storytelling too, so particularly nobody would know. But the reality was in the altercation itself, it wasn't really my fault. You know, I, I, I talked with my wife about this. She's like, yeah. But God told me, call her on the phone and apologize for the whole thing. <laughs> and you, I'm, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, y'all. We don't do that. That's not a thing that we do. Some of y'all, you're like, oh, I do that. I apologize for everything anyways. I'm like, I apologize for stuff that I do wrong. <laughs> or that I maybe think that I do wrong. He said, take responsibility for the whole thing. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you ever say that to God? <laughs> like, well, no. That's crazy. And I said, but you know God, and this is when you tell God something that he's very aware of already. And you say, I said, but you know God that this was not my fault. And God's response to me was something along the lines of like, okay. So are you going to do it? And I'm like, but no, we just had this conversation. You see, I don't have to do it. I don't think that I, this is not a formula that's working out for me. And God's like, I just want you to do this thing. And we had a long argument about this, and he eventually won. And I called this lady up on the phone, and I apologized for the whole thing. Now this, guys, this is how emotional. I was like crying on the phone. I took responsibility for it. I was not a fake apology. I took responsibility for the whole thing. Now this will sound crazy to you. I'm giving you kind of a wild, outlandish story out there. of something that God definitely told me to do. That, and I can show you how it worked by the result that I got, okay? But I definitely meant the apology. And I was sincere and I was all of this. And you're like, that's not, God would never tell me to do that, okay? The thing about God is he doesn't like you telling him what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to yep. do. He's trying to get you a result. You just don't know the math yet. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. Later that week, this is at the time of the story. Some of you know this, some of you don't. That my dad had a church north of here that, that I had taken over, I had run it for a couple of years, and then, and then God told me, and I was, there was only a few people that knew this, and God told me, you need to close that church and start a church in Airdrie. So I knew this, my wife knew this, maybe one or two other people knew this, I think at the time, but my parents didn't know this. Now that's super awkward when it's your parents' church that you took over, right? They spent 30 years there, and I knew, and this the, the week that God told me to do this and call this lady, I knew that we needed to close this church down and move and, and, and take whoever wanted to come with us. And some people did, and they sold their houses, and they moved with us, and it was incredible. Um, some people in this room. And so, but, but, um, but when we did that, like, my parents didn't know. How do you have a conversation with somebody who spent 30 years of their life and worked hard? Like, hi, thanks, and now I'm going to close this. And, okay, how do you have that conversation with somebody? See, I needed God to do something in their hearts. God told me to do this thing, which was completely unrelated. And this is what happened. I think the next day after this conversation that I had had, I can't really remember the timeline, but it was right in that same pocket of time, I had a conversation with my mom and dad. And I said to them, I think that this is what God is asking me to do. And in 15 minutes, 15 minutes, this is a miraculous thing. 15 minutes, my mom looked me in the eye and said to me, if that's what God told you to do, then do it and we'll help you. 30 years of their life, done. 15 minutes, if that's what God told you to do, then, then you do that. And she said this, because we came because God told us to, and you better do everything that God told you to. Now, now, where was she when I was arguing with God about the other thing that God told me to do that I didn't want to do? 
God worked a miracle in this thing because I did the other thing. How does God remove the barriers in your life between connection, between himself and between people? How, see, I look back now and I'm like, God, this whole thing was that phone call that I had to make. None of that was like, I was not at fault for that. I mean, my piece of the pie was so small, it was invisible, you know? And I'm like, and I apologize for her piece of the pie too. Here's what, here's what God showed me. Here's what God showed me. It's a formula that just works. And then he's, I had to, I had to forgive the other person for putting me in that position. And then, then God asked me to go and do the unjust thing there. And it actually worked out for the betterment of everybody, including this relationship with the other person. This person never apologized to me for anything. We were supposed to have these follow-up conversations. She never did. She never did anything. She never put it back together. But I just realized, you know what? God's hand was still in it, and I let it go. I let go the need to be right. I let go my sense of justice. I let it go, and God worked a miracle that we really needed. This church might not be here if that conversation hadn't happened. But you got to quit thinking that everything that, that God asks you to do is going to seem fair to you or going to seem right to you. So how, because I had to forgive this other person and take swallow the whole pill to remove that barrier here. And when I, that happened, the barrier here dropped too. And, and, but you're saying to yourself, but pastor, this is not how I understand how, because today's sermon is, is called drinking poison. Give me a sec. Uh, it's about forgiveness. And you're like, but that's not how forgiveness works. See, you can only forgive somebody who apologizes to you first. That is the greatest fallacy that the devil can get you to believe. Because I have not been apologized to by this other person. That still has not happened. That may never happen. We tell ourselves, well, I can't forgive my dad because of what he did to me because he never apologized to me. Well, your dad might die, and that thing has its hooks in you still. Because unforgiveness is like drinking poison and, and hoping the other person dies. It poisons your soul. It, it keeps barriers up in your life. And, and it just crowds your life because the more sin that happens in a relationship, how do we deal with the sin? You know that when you hurt somebody, you can't take that thing back. You can apologize, but there's still the effect of that betrayal, the effect of that sin, the effect of that. Come on. There's something there that cannot be taken away. Like a very strong person might be able to get past it, but there's still this healing process that needs to happen. How does that healing process in the human soul work? Because me admitting that I hurt Jason. Me admitting that I hurt him is not the same thing as him being okay to move forward. Like, it doesn't heal him to say I'm sorry. No, obviously I should say I'm sorry because I did the thing. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't heal the relationship and doesn't bring the relationship back together. God can, though. And let me just, let me show you. For forgiveness, when I forgive you for something that you've done to me, when I forgive you and I forgive you freely before you apologize, before any of that happens, Jesus hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. Nobody was asking for forgiveness, y'all. I'm glad that he said that because you got it one day. So here's how forgiveness works. Here's, here's how it works. Forgiveness is not saying, I trust you again. It's not putting yourself in that same home again and being like, hey, go ahead and do your worst. You know, It's not saying that. It's not saying that. You have to earn trust. Every, and trust can be broken, and trust can be, okay. So it's not saying, I trust you. It's not saying what you did was right. Here's what it's saying. You owe me, but I'm going to forgive the debt that you owe me. I'm going to take you off of my hook and put you on God's hook. And he can do whatever he wants to. 
But I'm not going to be the one that judges you. I'm not going to be the one that takes it out on you. That's not my call. I'm going to forgive you for what you did to me. You're going to have to earn my trust back maybe. It's not right. It's not whatever. We may not be best friends afterwards, but I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to consider that you don't owe me a debt. I'm going to put this, I'm going to put you in my mind on God's hook and he can do whatever he needs to with you. But for my part, I'm forgiving you and I'm going to ask him to forgive you too. What happens when you become the judge though? Here's what happens. Your life devolves into squabbles and competition. Every argument is a win-loss. Did you know that an argument in a godly marriage can be like this? Hey, we both sinned. (laughs) Or just, I did, or you did, or whatever. And afterwards, when forgiveness is applied, God can heal and God can make stronger. Well, what do you mean? How can God make stronger after sin? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know how that works, that two weaknesses make a strength. I don't know. But without forgiveness, two weaknesses just keeps getting weaker. It becomes a competition and squabbles and control and power. See, what I did to this lady felt like I gave her power and I gave her control. But what it, that's not what it did. It gave heaven control. It gave heaven control of this thing. That's where you want it. You want it on God's hook. You want it on God's hook. Here's what happens when we become the judge. You start getting people on your team who agree with you. Because you got the story to them first. In a family, you see families divided all the time. Why? Because you get two of the kids on your side about a story that, you know, you're fighting with your wife and then you tell the kids. And you know what I mean? Yeah, never done that before. Um, here's, here's, what, here's what else. When we become the judge, I only forgive what I think I can. And we say, like, I could never forgive somebody for what they did. No, you could never say that what they did was right. You might always be affected by that. But can you, to say that I cannot forgive, if you are a child of God... You can't say that because the Spirit of God in you is the same Spirit that was in Jesus when he hung on a cross and forgave the sins of the world when he had never done anything wrong ever to anybody ever. No, you have the same Spirit. You only forgive what you can when the other person proves that they've changed. (laughs) Remember, unforgiveness is drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. What if they don't change? They're not the one in chains. I am. They can sin against me, and if I won't forgive them, I'm the one who's in chains. They probably don't even think about me. I'm still the one in chains until I let it go. See, your capacity shrinks. Your dreams get small. You start thinking, like I preached about, you know, you start thinking, like, I can't because they didn't. My dreams can't come true because of something that's outside of my life. They did, and because they did, God's dream for me can't come true. And God's like, my dream for you can't come true because of what somebody did to you? Oh, they're stronger than I am now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Did you forget who I am, God is saying? My dream for you can't come true because of whose decision making? Yours. You're the only one who can stop God's dream from coming true in your life. Go back and listen to that sermon. I mean... You start, it, it kills your dreams. It starts shrinking your capacity. Um, listen, when somebody hurts you, it doesn't kill their future nearly as much as, as it kills yours when you, forg- when you stop, don't uh, forgive them. It actually kills your future. It doesn't kill their future necessarily. It kills mine when I won't forgive them. 
Um, you give things outside of, uh, of you the power to kill your dream. You get bitter, your hands start to get closed, and your heart starts to get hard. Now, you will eventually get hard-hearted towards anybody who's around you, no matter if they were the one who did this thing to you or not. Your heart gets hard, and when your heart is hard, you're just hard to be around. And you have to understand, you are affecting the people around you who did nothing to you. You're still affecting them because you have not let go of the sins of your mom. To or Your brother was the favorite. No, he, he wasn't actually. I just always say that because it's funny. Um, listen, if there was favoritism in the home, you grew up in a split home, there was favoritism, and you haven't forgiven your mom yet, it's not their future. It's your future that's at stake. Here's what we do. I put somebody, and I'm super good at this. Anybody else who's Irish, we're really good at this. We just, unforgiveness, oh my goodness. We just like put somebody in a box in our head, and then we take them out about 50 times a day, and we smack them around, and we argue with them. And we're like, you, that thing that you did, and you're so smart in your arguments. It's always easier to argue with somebody in your head because they're really, really dumb when they're in there. And they just sit there, and they just look stupidly, and they're like... I'm such an idiot, and you're like, and I'm so smart. It's funny when you talk to real people that they actually have something to say. <laughs> but we do that. We take them out, and we beat them. We're like, you stupid, you hurt me, you stop this, and everything that you're mad about in your life, you just blame them for, and you just keep rehearsing it and rehearsing it and rehearsing it. You're in prison. You're the one in a box. It's not even the other person. They may not even think about you anymore. I wish they would think about me a little more, but they don't. Listen, do you want justice? That's what we always say to ourselves. Do you, do you know who wants justice? That's it's such a childish concept, I think. Justice, justice. What are you talking about justice exactly? All we mean when we say we want justice, when it's interpersonal, all I mean is like, I want this thing that I want right now. I want you to say that you're wrong and apologize. Because you're wrong, Aaron. You're always wrong. It's all, I'm always right. Oh, my goodness. When I say justice, I just want to win. I don't know what you're like, but that's what, how I, I just want to win something. Justice. And God's like, sorry, what kind of justice did you want? Did you want to pay the price of all of your sins? Okay, you want Jesus not to do that anymore? You want to do that? And I'm like, well, no. I just mean justice about this argument with my wife that I'm losing right now. I don't mean justice, justice. Oh, no. I just mean give me what I want. See, if you approach your relationships as if, ready, as in a give and take all the time. Now, listen, everybody's got to do their 50. But, but what I mean by that is like, well, I did this and hurt you. Therefore, you're allowed one next tomorrow. Or like, you keep hurting me and you keep hurting me. And then life becomes this like handoff of like, well, it's your turn now. Now it's my turn to have a bad day, you know. And it becomes this, this seesaw of competition. And you're going to have to decide whether you want to give up your sense of injustice to get connection or not. Because the ultimate basis of heaven's justice is forgiveness of sins. Your sin against, your, your wife's sin against you, I just keep going back to this marriage thing because maybe that's because I'm married. My wife's sin against me is nothing, no matter what she could do, compared to my sin against a holy God. We're both screw-ups. So it's like one sinner sinning against another sinner, right? But my sin against God is a whole different animal. He didn't deserve anything that I've ever done. And God is free, be willing to forgive my sin if I will let go of this sin, but it's conditional on me letting go of this sin. Why? Because you have to do something. My sense of injustice has only to do with this and not with this when I'm mad. 
And you have to understand, I can have justice or I can have connection, but I can't have both. I can have justice in my marriage or I can have connection, but I can't have both all of the time. Which means I have to give as much as the marriage requires that I give. I have to forgive as much as that sin is, I've got to forgive more. I don't mean trust more, I mean I have to forgive more and let it go more. That's what, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Now Jesus is like, okay, there's an unforgiveness problem, so I'm going to tell everybody a fable that sounds like over, over here, but I'm really going to be talking about them. And so you're just going to enter it with your feelings hurt already. That'll help you get there quicker, I think. It says, Peter came to him. <laughs> I love Peter. Peter reminds me of me. He only removed one foot out of his mouth to kind of get the other one in there. So he came and he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Pat, pat, pat. Right. Uh, the Pharisees at the time, the religious people, the professional Christians, <laughs> the pastors, they were preaching at the, at the time, probably based on the scripture of a minor prophet named Amos, that, okay, if somebody did the same thing to you three times that was sinful, forgive them up to, you know, do it three times and you're very spiritual. And so, but as soon as they do it the fourth time, you're done, right? <laughs> like, if I didn't forgive my child for the fourth time, they left their room a mess. And you're done, <laughs> you know? But this is what they were teaching. Like, and Jesus comes with the actual intent of the scriptures. And he's like, no, you took that totally out of context, guys. So Peter comes and he's like, hey, I'm going you know, to double it. And he says, seven times, up to seven times? And Jesus replies, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And Peter's like, uh, my abacus is, what? That's a lot of the same type of sin. <laughs> you know, and Jesus is basically saying, like, stop counting. Stop counting. This, see, you can have a religious spirit in a bad sense, like a man-made religion, where everything is about justice. Yeah, but justice, and then, and then, and then some poor girl, come on, some poor girl has an abortion, and all you do is you just rag on her about that, but you don't love her. Come on. You don't love her. You don't make a place for her in your church. You don't like, hey, sinners, welcome. No, come on. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. There's a future. There's a tomorrow. There's a tomorrow. Come on. No. It's a sense of justice. Well, I never did that. Therefore, I don't need that. Yeah, well, somebody does. Somebody does. And then Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. There is a coming justice that God has, and it will bring the accounts up to date who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. This is not translated millions of dollars. You just wouldn't understand what it was. So they, this is the actual translation, 10,000 talents. Talent was a sum of money. Okay, this is how big a talent was. A servant of the king owed him 10,000 talents. One talent was a bag of gold that weighed um, between 70 pounds and 130 pounds. One one talent was, it depends kind of where you get the, the weight measurements of the time. I think a Roman talent was 70 and the, the Israeli talent was 130. So I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm just giving you an idea. Okay. It's a lot. It's not millions of dollars. It's, it's a one bag of gold times 10,000, right? It's, here's, here's how, what a talent was worth. One denarii was a unit of measurement, was one day's labor. So Jason goes to work. He makes one denarii a day. So however many you would make... 200, 300 in a year. Okay. Um, this is, is one talent is worth 6,000 of those of his day's labors. Now, I know he thinks he's important, but you're worth one denarii a day in the Bible, and that's what you would get. 6,000 of your day's labors, 20 years' wages. Like for a labor. 20 years' labors, one talent. 
10,000 talents. It was a number that nobody, none of them could even possibly imagine. And they're telling these, he's telling these poor Jewish people, like, they're like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I know what a denarii is, but I don't know what a 10,000 talents is. not just, you know, uh, an entire slave nation, it was recorded, paid a, a tribute of 660 talents of precious metal. 660. An entire nation that was under the thumb of another nation, that's what they paid a year in tribute. This is just a, a, an incredible number. This is one person that owes this. He says, he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Like, you're not worth it, but we got to get something back, right? This to you, because you're Canadians and you're real soft, you don't understand that that's, there were no bailouts back then. You didn't get to stay at home and get paid for doing nothing. That didn't exist in the world. Okay, this, what this means is like, if you went into debt, you had to pay that debt back. So there was no debt forgiveness. There was nothing of that nature whatsoever at the time. It just meant like if you went into debt, then they would often sell their children as slaves or sell their children as they would work in other people's homes and fields and you would have to sell your children off, sell yourself, sell your wife. This is the only way to pay a debt back then. And and it says to, to... like to pay the debt. And then it says, but the man fell down just like you would do before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. It's a ridiculous claim. Like you're going to pay that all? Let's see, 20 years times 10,000. Like, dude, you were, if, you're, if you got into that kind of debt, you're not smart to begin with. So you, your time is definitely not worth a denarii a day. Come on. He's like, I'll pay you all. Just like, don't, don't do this. Don't throw me in jail. Then his master was filled with pity. This is Christ's pity for you who owed him so much, pity with him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Forgave it. Like, that's on me, I got it. Now here's the ultimate understanding of forgiveness. You're not forgiving somebody according to what you can give. You're forgiving somebody according to what God is able to forgive. That, that, I don't forgive you because I'm able to live with what you did with me. I'm not. I'm able to live with his life in me. I'm able to let it go and be healed because of his power in me. Not because I have a bank account that can pay that. No, it hurts me. But by the grace of God, I can be healed of the wound. It's a powerful thing. He forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, and remember now, Jesus is telling a story about these people over here. And these people over here are like, yeah, those idiots. Watch this. They're just like, oh, this guy's such a jerk. He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. This means, he, he, it says who owed him 100 denarii, I think is what it's actually translated. 100 days labor. It's a lot. Like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, something like that. It seems like a lot. Nothing compared to the other. He grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. And he actually could. But his creditor couldn't, he wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison. Watch what unforgiveness does had him arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Your wife can't pay you if she's in prison. Your dad can't. Nobody can. Come on. Nobody can. They can't take away the thing that was done. They can't do it. You winning every argument after she hurts you like that is not going to make you feel better. It won't. It's not going to fix it. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. 
They went to the king and ratted out this other guy, told him everything that had happened. And the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king, now this is where we run into real justice. The justice of heaven. Careful now. Watch this. The re- this angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. He's like, if, if you are going to be that small, then you go to a prison of your own making. I didn't choose this for you, but you get to go to a prison of your own making. All God has to do, if you want justice, God's like, okay. He just removes his grace and mercy from your life and says, pay for your sin then. Come on. You grow up in church and you think, no, no, no. Jesus is like, yeah, but I forgave. You better go out and forgive. And you're like, yeah. But, and he's like, fine. Deal with the consequences of your own life. Deal with your sin. Hmm. If you will not forgive, you will bear the punishment you have decided for the person that hurt you. You will bear their punishment. As long as your brother is in jail, as long as your child is in jail, as long as your friend is in jail in your heart, you will be in jail too. This is the nature of true justice. An eye for an eye. And Jesus closes his whole statement off. He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I have a big idea that I've left till this point in the sermon just give me a couple of sentences to get warmed into it. See, the, the equation you don't agree with because you don't have the power to back it. It makes no sense to you because you're like, yeah, but they have to give or I don't have anything to give back. And God's like, if you give, I will give you and then you will have more to give. Yep. And when you run out, then I will pour in. Yep. And we're like, but I have to st- keep my tank full because I have to keep some back for myself. And God's like, no, you don't. Because when you run out is when I am full. And when you pour out, that's when I pour in. And you don't have to worry about, God, give us this day our daily bread. And you're like, but that person hurt me so deeply. And God's like, no, I get it. (laughs) Who are we talking about? Him or you? You know, I get it. And yet I forgave. And I have the power of heaven. And I have the life. And I have the... And I have the future, and I have the destiny, and I have the confidence, and I have the, and nobody's hurt anybody more than they've hurt me. What starts as the voice of the Holy Spirit, what starts as God speaking to you will eventually turn into a whisper. Because the more unforgiveness you have in your heart, the further you walk away from Jesus. And he'll be back here speaking by the Holy Spirit, like, forgive, just let it go, just let it go. And you're like, no, but I can't. Then you start telling yourself a fable about how much they owe you, and you just rehearse it, and you rehearse it. And the further away you get, the the further away you get, the more, the quieter the voice of the Holy Spirit, until the voice of the Holy Spirit, until it stops. He's still speaking. You're just not in his his earshot. You're not in earshot of what he has to. Listen, listen, this is what I want to say to you, and I want to fire you up to do this this week, today. Forgiveness is the least passive thing in the world. You think that you're saying that everything they did was right. Forgiveness never, it's not saying that. It's saying whatever it was, that's on me. I'm not saying it's right, but whatever it was, that's not up to me anymore. God, here's this person, and they're on your hook. I don't want to have to be tormented by this anymore. I don't even want them tormented by this anymore. I wouldn't wish on on them what they did to me. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but I'm not going to think about it and judge them anymore. It's not a passive thing. Forgiveness is the strongest thing that you can do. I have watched people who have been hurt in ways that I can't imagine forgive and let go. 
And they're the strongest people I know. They're the most confident people I know. They're the most joyful people I know. Because the devil can't put a gun to their head and just make them tormented all the time because they let it go. They're just like, God, if you say so, that's enough for me. If that's the formula, then that's enough for me. And the equation always works out in their favor because it's heaven's equation for their lives. Here's my big idea. Are you ready? The world is a broken place and the devil owns most of it. The only places he doesn't own are the places where Christ followers bring the hope of the gospel in and true justice from heaven starts coming. And justice, I mean forgiveness of sins and mercy and God healing countries and God healing nations and, and God healing your family and God healing you from that addiction. And that's the only, the justice of heaven. That's what he's thinking of. But, but listen, listen. The only way for God to get into your neighbor's house might be because they're not letting him in. The only way in you ready? The only way God might be able to get into the hard-hearted wife that you might have, the only way God might be able to get in there, the only way the Holy Spirit might be able to get in there is by them hurting you. Listen. When they hurt you and you forgive them, the Holy Spirit comes. The only way the forgiveness of Christ came to you was when he hung on a cross and we hurt him. It was the only way the Holy Spirit could come to the earth was when we hurt him, he forgave us and Holy Spirit rides on the wave of forgiveness. Rides right into your hard-hearted neighbor. It's the only, but here's the thing. Sometimes you feel like you get set up and people are hurting you left, right, and center and God's like, yes, because they're lost souls and I need to get to them. That's why. And who, Look, I will give you the ability to forgive. I will pour into your healing. You can be healed. Listen, you think there's no healing for what that person did to you. God can heal you in a month. God can heal you by snapping his fingers. God can do anything that he wants to do. I have hurt in my heart too, but you know what? I'm free. People have hurt me, but I'm free. I'm not wrapped up in chains anymore. I'm good. I'm confident. I'm strong. It hurts sometimes, but I'm good. The only way for God to get in might be for them to hurt you so that you can turn and forgive them. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we would take this principle, apply this math immediately in our lives and say, oh God, please come and save and fill in the blank, Lord. Please come and save my dad, Father. Please come and save my family. God, please come and save my boss. Please come and save. I forgive them for doing this thing. I forgive, I forgive. I'm not saying it's okay, but they're on your hook now and I'm not gonna judge them anymore. You're the judge, Father. But I pray that you would judge them free. I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you would bring them one day. I pray that we'd worship in church one day. I pray that I'd be the one who'd be able to baptize them one day. I pray that your forgiveness would flow through me someday, Father, so that we could worship side by side in the house of God. That they would come after all this hurt and we would be friends, Father, and we could be back together. But Father, even if that doesn't happen, I want them to come and find you anyway. And Father, if this is the way, you will give me the power to be healed. In Jesus' name, amen.